Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi Olivia. Hi Micah. How are you doing today? Good. About 10 minutes ago, I was dealing with some terribly stretched type on a file Mm. handover. I'm helping design some files and the file that came to me had type stretched at 136%. It felt like a whole <laughs> new so typeface. <laughs> yeah, and it's wild. And it, it literally felt like just the terribly ugly typeface. You would never have recognized it. That should be like a fun game. Can you recognize the type from it stretched <laughs> 136%? That's actually interesting. Kind of like the kerning game from, what mm-hmm. is it, type.ac? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll make you very sad, though. <laughs> but it'll be like a strong lesson in why not to do it, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. I condone it for that reason then. (laughs) How are you doing today, Micah? I am pretty good. I am hanging out in Philadelphia, which I don't know if it's true, but somebody told me is the oldest city in America. Is that, I don't, that could be made up. That tracks. Somebody might be messing with me. (laughs) But it has been, you know, I've kind of like, every time I get to a new city, half my time is spent just like walking around, just observing things. I love that. Mm-hmm. And there's so much interesting typography here. Mm. I mean, I grew up, I grew up with, my mother was an antique dealer, which I might have mentioned on this before, but she loved like the colonial era. And so a mm. lot of the type that I was surrounded with when I was young is, is that kind of typography. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that from, here. You're from Massachusetts too, right? Technically, originally, yeah. Originally. I mean, I grew up in upstate New York, but, and so there's a lot of that, but there's also a lot of like a kind of industrial age kind of you know quote-unquote old-fashioned kind of signs that you picture of like a barber shop but it's applied to a cafe or something you know Mm. and then i honestly my favorite so far i randomly saw a garbage truck driving by with like hand-painted black letter logo like what the heck it was was awesome and weird but cool yeah so i've been enjoying the typography here oh well, you know, I love to hear it. So fitting. Have you seen any Victorian typography piggybacking on last week's episode? I guess a bit. I think maybe that's part of what I mean by the like industrial age uh, mm-hmm. barbershop aesthetic, I guess. It's like mm-hmm. a certain it's a certain version of the Victorian applied to like a slight like the next half of an era, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I like to hear it. So yeah, fun. It's fun. Speaking of fun things, tomorrow, because this episode is coming out on Friday, tomorrow is our workshop with Dan Cederholm. I am super excited about this. I think we have all been talking about it on social media, which is nice. And we've gotten a handful of new people in. And if, you know, if you're listening to this right now before Saturday at noon Eastern, you can still get a ticket. And a lot of people have been asking, well, the workshop is about making your first font. And you were just telling this awesome story about a friend of yours that, like, isn't even a designer and was like, do you think I could take it? And I think we both think the answer is yes. I think it's going to be really interesting to hear from somebody who wasn't a type designer on how he learned and taught himself to make fonts. And I feel like we've gotten a preview of the outline for the class and, like, Definitely going to be very approachable, very much like taking out all the heavy jargon and adding in the fun, Mm. adding in like the good tips and tricks. So like you can just get started, get making. You don't have to like worry too much about like the perfectionism of font design. You can 
enjoy yourself, which, you Indeed. know, I think isn't always end to the means in type design education. But for this one, it's going to be the means <laughs> and the end. Also worth noting, though, a lot of people have been asking, like, oh, shoot, I can't make it at that time. And with all of the workshop tickets that we sell, you get the recording whether you show up or not. So a lot of people who are in different time zones or have stuff going on, you can buy a ticket and get the recording after even if you don't show up. Absolutely. It's going to be a grand old time. We will be there. It'll be fun. And the other thing is the nerd alert this week is kind of a different setup than we usually do. Yeah. It's going to be kind of similar to how we did our microsites episode, I guess. A few weeks ago, so like we have a bunch of links in the newsletter completely dedicated to this nerd alert. The nerd alert is how to describe a typeface. And we'll kind of be like going through the links, you know, paging through, but also talking about like our own experience being designers and how it's very difficult to describe type with the vocabulary that's been kind of established and how it's kind of necessary to start expanding our minds about the way we describe type and the way we classify type and the tools we use to find type. I mean, yeah, lots of type, type, type. I think it's going to be super interesting. And I'm excited to jump into it because I think we've both been really passionate about exploring this topic in our own career. Do you want to go into the first link? Yeah, you know more about this one than I have ever known about it in my life. Well, yeah. So this first link kind of gives you a basis of like where we've been with describing typography. If you want like an even more detailed outline of what I'm about to talk about, we did a whole nerd alert on episode number 60 about the Vox A type I classification system. The pros, the cons, the future, the potential death of it. Lots, <laughs> lots we covered there. But yeah, so this article here is great because it mentions the Vox A Type I system. It gives you an introduction to it. It is a system that was established in 1962. You know, it was like originally created by Maximilian Vox and then A Type I, the very large international type organization, decided to adopt it as well and co-opt it. And so this is basically what most uh, design schools teach in their typography one class. So you have the classifications of transitional, old face, modern, Egyptian slab. Sans serif is one category out of nine. <laughs> it's right. like, yeah, and, and it's just, it's kind of out, it, it is it is outdated. Even A Type I has talked about de-adopting it and figuring out how they're going to transition to the new world. But even though this is super old school, some some like type teachers really hold this to the standard of the one way to classify type when you're learning about type. And most of these classifications actually really have to do with time periods and history at the moment, not how designers actually interact with type. I don't think I've ever been like, I need to pull out a Venetian Sarah right. for this project. You know, what's kind of your relationship with this classification system? Well, that's that's really it. It's like I remember being in college and learning this stuff because we had to, and it was like memorizing for a test so that I could forget it the day after the test. Mm -hmm. And it was like, this does not match how I actually think about designing. I'm just doing this because you told me I had to. And so yes. the majority of these things I've never been able to remember. Yeah. yeah. There's a few that have stuck with me, I guess, like Egyptian slab. You know, that one's fairly memorable, I guess. And... I think partially, like, the ones that I do remember that are difficult for me are because of the league, to be honest. Like, Junction was our first font ever, and 
you know, we kind of had to describe it as like this humanist font. And I didn't mm-hmm. necessarily know what that meant, but I knew that it was right. And so it's like, all right, I guess that's an example of a humanist font. And like chunk is mm-hmm. a is a slab serif, right? Mm-hmm, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And so I like pay zero attention to this classification system. And, and if I'm honest, like it, it makes me gag a little bit when, when it has to come up. Like when I'm searching through fonts and, it, and I have to use that, I'm like, Ugh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure, like, Vox HIFI, the system itself can be broken into segments. Like, sans serif is a broader category, but when you mention, like, humanist, it's like humanist and geometric and grotesque fonts are within sans serif, which is kind of helpful. But, like, also, I feel like we're just, like, in an age when there's, like, over 100 geometric fonts that, like, look similar. And then, you know, just calling them geometric just almost becomes, like, meaningless because mm. we're like, oh, yeah, like it is like it's one of like a gazillion ways to describe a typeface, I guess. It's not meaningless, but I think we have to get into deeper descriptions than using <laughs> just like ve- these very basic tags, more or less. Yeah, I guess it's it's somewhere between like it's not meaningless, but it's not exactly meaningful either. Right? Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a sort of a neutral general way to classify things that only helps for the very first pass in particular scenarios. Yeah. And and on this page, there are different methods of type classification. A-type by, uh, Vox A-type by is the most popular, but they give a, a, a few other proposals that are very similar. And they talk about Bringhurst's classification system. He also does time periods. So it's like Renaissance, Baroque, Neoclassical, Romantic, which maybe makes sense if you're more of an art history person. Um, mm. But, like, postmodernist, oh, my God. Like, if that is late 20th to early 21st century, like, there's a thousand categories within postmodernist. And, and like, okay, so, like, when we talk about things like slab serif, we don't even get to talk about all the different variations. There's, like, there's slab serif that's, like, chunk or, like, Rockwell that's, like, a very, like, classic, like, squared off slab serifs. But, like, all fonts that are in typewriters are basically slab serif. And mm. so it's like those those are very different things and convey very different meanings, you know. That's a very good point. And also un- unrelated to this, I just have to mention, while this is a very educational site and I appreciate that the content here is some version of a Creative Commons license, I can't I can't like this does it's not it's like they built the entire web page wrong and I can't handle it. Oh, okay. Like you, you can't select any of the type to be like, oh, I want to reference this somewhere, or You're like right. you can't <laughs> click on anything for no for no apparent reason. I don't know why. It drives me nuts. Wow. Well, like useful last... information, but hard to reference. Yeah, I mean, is that your apology for all the web design folks that are tuning in? No, I just you know it's one of those nitpicky things that I could not mention. It's almost like funny how you can't select text on this page and it's almost all typography and it's about typography like they had to work to make that true i don't understand it maybe it's a form of performance art i hope so i hope that would at least be a good excuse so you know we don't mean to be a downer about all this classification stuff because i think a lot of people are making really cool innovations in how we describe type and ways that we are describing type in the future that can impact ways that we find typography and allow type that maybe has been underrepresented or underused come into light because we are finding new ways to describe type that is beyond classification and a little bit more just like regular language friendly. I think we're in a world where like 
even me that works more or less as a brand and packaging designer, if we have to talk to clients, clients aren't going to even want to learn the Vox A Type I system to talk about, you know, uh, typography. There's so many other ways that they're interested in typography being energetic, being bold, being shameless, being understated, being elegant. And there's like a thousand ways to be thinking about type in those in those kind of parameters that is so much more helpful for when you're talking to clients or you're talking to brands to sell in the idea of a certain typeface rather than trying to refer to like these like very outdated systems. Mm, yeah, absolutely. One of those very cool methods of describing type is from I Love Typography and their Cedars Plus kind of system to organize their type that they are selling on their marketplace. It was developed by Nadine Shaheen. It is a very different way to sort through type, to browse type, and it uses a system that is based a little bit on the formal qualities. It is based all on the formal qualities of the typography, but the way that you filter things through, it's like, okay, there's contrast within letter form. That's like very formal aspect of there's either low or high contrast. And that's something we're familiar with. But then she talks about like energy, like what's the speed of movement of the writing tool. And that can be very helpful when you're looking at script typefaces. And then, you know, what axis is like if a letter form is based off of, you know, calligraphy, the access of that calligraphic pen can also describe what time period it is. No longer are we confined to like old style or Venetian or words that we barely use in regular day. We can actually think about the the writing tools used for a font. And like, yes, that applies to Roman typography, but also like think about globally how much more that applies to type that isn't Latin type that has its own writing tools and stuff like that. Like even thinking about the way that things were written with the tool that is from a culture can radically change how we are describing typography. I do appreciate that like her perspective on this, at least partially too, was was coming from, hey, we can't like it's it's not fair to just call a script font a script right? Like it depends on what script, what culture it is, mm -hmm. what language you're writing in. There's, there's so much more variation there than just the Western model of how that works, right? Yeah. And I think like, I've heard her even make the point before that geometric typeface in Latin letters kind of communicates a certain modern formal quality to it. But using the similar geometric principles in Arabic type, it actually doesn't necessarily convey a modernism that we, from our like Western point of view, think. So I think it is so important. We're becoming a more global world. We're talking about typography being created for cultures that haven't had it before. How do we start talking about typography that's not through the lens of like this Eurocentric developed type system and has some bigger thoughts behind it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely go browse Cedars, browse some of their fonts. They have a bunch of like really great foundries on I Love Typography. But, you know, we didn't even, we just touched the tip of the iceberg for all the things you can sort by. There's really fun ways to sort through letters. You can even sort through with like double story and single story A's and G's, which are really, really highly detailed reasons why you need one or the other but sometimes you do depending on the project and there's like six different types of serifs you can sort by which it gets it gets highly categorized and I'm excited to see what happens when they start expanding their catalog and you can see like 50 fonts that have wedge serifs and then it's like right. oh okay 
now I can take my pick. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I definitely appreciate that. So the the next one that we have on this list is kind of interesting, and I think maybe my favorite. I don't remember when this first came up, but it was a while ago that we talked about it. It was last um, year. Oh, God, that's forever ago. So it's called Font Brief. And to be honest, I don't even remember that much information about who made this or where it came from. But the thing that I appreciate about it is that they're they're literally trying to classify type in a new way that is a lot more about like subjective adjectives on a scale and so like some of the examples that are quickly in front of me just looking at it is like neutral versus expressive on like a five point scale like is it right in between them is it all the way neutral is it all the way expressive or elegant versus rugged or serious versus friendly and etc etc and i guess kind of like we were saying at the beginning like there are still large categorizations of like okay i'm interested in a sans or mm-hmm. uh, serif, but but two of the ones that I don't see often are workhorse, which I feel like you must appreciate, mm-hmm. and free, which I think we all yeah, appreciate. For sure, there is like so much I'm obsessed with and like want to see them keep on doing with the way they're describing type here. I mean, like elegant versus rugged, serious versus friendly, classic versus progressive, familiar versus daring. Like these are words that. People not in the type design world are using to describe type. And this is like the first time I've seen type sorter that will use these words explicitly, have an awesome catalog of type to look at that they're featuring. And like, how is this the first time I've seen this? You know what I mean? Like, I think it's just really like cold versus warm. Like, where is that like in so many other ways of searching for type? And I really think this is the future when we start moving away from these very outdated realms of categorization and start thinking about like much more like human ways because like type is speaking for our text you know what I mean like it just it makes so much sense that you would be talking about type in this sort of way it sounds so obvious when you say it but I I appreciate that because it I don't nobody nobody talks about it that way but it is like the visual representation of speaking right Mm -hmm. and when you're speaking like the tonality and i don't know the the way your voice goes up and down changes what it means one word could mean a dozen different things depending on the way that you say it and that's exactly what fonts Mm -hmm. are right Mm -hmm. and i think the reason that this is my favorite is because it, it tracks closest to the way that i think when i am designing stuff yeah I mean, absolutely. And I think people can like learn about typography from tools like these. So like I've selected fonts that are on the warm side, just like one parameter out of several. And already you can like, if you didn't know what fonts were and you were like, someone tell me like what a warm font is or what a font, I want like a font for my company that's friendly, warm, speaks to like an audience that's approachable and very accessible. Like already you have some ideas of uh, what that can be. And not any of these is the right exact answer. There's still a variety in here, but you start seeing repetitive features like characters with more playful quirks in it or some characters that don't have sharp corners. I mean, that's like a huge thing. And that's already something that you can learn from this. I mean, I think that I remember once hearing that like Cooper Black, it's the very huggable font in my mind. But part of it's because there's like no straight edges and like there are straight edges, but there's no corners, sharp corners. Even the bottom of every serif on the capital letters is rounded. So like even when the letters sit on a line, they're not like 
perfectly sitting on a line like flush to the baseline. They have kind mm-hmm. of curves that go in and out. And that can actually like teach you about how you could use Cooper Black. So like maybe if you wanted to use Cooper Black and have like a bouncing baseline or something whimsical like that, it actually looks really good because your eyes not like directed towards parts of the letter forms that should be sitting flat on a surface it's already this stuffed animal of a typeface which is really great (laughs) stuffed animal of a typeface Mm -hmm. that's great yeah i mean like and besides that like they don't only have fonts that look like hooper black in the warm category they have typefaces sans serif serif script and i think it allows many interpretations of different ways to describe type which is very yeah and i think maybe the last thing that that i want to touch on with this is honestly something that i I reference in frequently on this podcast but something that i learned from thomas jockin who was a friend of ours and fellow type nerd and he kind of showed me this system that he used to make to to clarify client adjectives by having opposing adjectives and and kind of ranking them and this is like the Mm -hmm. first time outside of thomas that i've seen somebody doing that where it's like how many times have you had a client be like well you know i I really want this design to look clean and you're like okay i have an idea of what that means and then you make something and they're like well i don't think it looks clean enough and this is a good example of being like okay when you say clean what do you think is the opposite mm-hmm. of clean so that I get a clearer idea of what that adjective means to you? Mm-hmm. And I love yeah. that. I think that's that's honestly exactly. I think like a new a new mode of teaching that has yet to catch on and I really think will at some point in the next 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And especially because people that are using fonts aren't just designers the way it was for a really long time think about before like people's personal computers when was like the average person interacting with a font choice i guess i mean they were seeing fonts and they were seeing typography everywhere they go but like the actual choosing of the typefaces that's a relatively new thing that people beyond graphic designers are doing and that people are asked to do even if they're not a graphic designer you know there's like other sort of creative trades and stuff like that i mean think of the people designing what fonts are available on instagram i mean right now there's like 10 mm-hmm. typefaces i hope they like took a long time to figure out what 10 they're gonna put on there i can't say it seems like they did with the 10 that they put on there (laughs) but you know like i think and then it's interesting that literally every person chooses their own type once they like get on there and type out their story on instagram and that's like how they want to be expressing themselves and if they were like a little bit more literate on how to describe type i i don't i think there's varying levels of that for people that aren't interacting with type every day maybe they'd be choosing different stuff or maybe they would have like a more personal relationship with typography it's like the Mm. the options are all endless when you start thinking about type in a much more relatable way that people can really have a relationship with yeah i definitely i definitely agree i definitely agree amazing all right our final link we're just blowing through these links today (laughs) i think it's interesting conversation and like kind of fun to have all these to compare against one another yeah so i believe you recommended this site for us to take a look at this week it is all about variable fonts which i don't think many people immediately connect variable fonts with thinking about new ways to describe type but i think there's some interesting nuances to it that i know you can speak on well you know this came up when we were when we were talking about planning this episode and someone i don't one of us made the point that variable fonts is like a new category of differentiation that almost hasn't quite been described yet in searchable parameters 
Mm-hmm. That sounded like a scientific mouthful. I don't know why it came out that way. But the fact that now a font can have a slider that goes from serif to sans serif. Yeah. How do you right? cat- Like, is that serif or is that sans serif? Is that both? What about the spot in the middle where it's like kind of serif, semi-serif? I don't know. Like, how do you categorize mm-hmm. that? And that's the tip of the iceberg, right? There's plenty of mm-hmm. there's plenty of variable font axes that just kind of change the categorization of, of what a font is. Like, here's... You know, here's Amstelvar is like a classic variable font from uh, Type Network, and it's a serif font, and a lot of the axes you can change how big the serif is, and how tall the ascenders are, and, and like very tiny details like that, but it doesn't as far as I know, change the fact that it's serif. But then we look at, uh, shoot, what was that font? I can't remember it off the top of my head, but there was like a wonky parameter. Shoot, now I can't remember. If anybody out there remembers what the heck We've talked talked about about it. I forget. Yeah, shoot, that's going to drive me nuts. Frances? Frances. Frances? I'm spending way too long talking about this. But, you know, there's like this this weird like wonky parameter and you're like, what do I do with that? Like it goes from what looks like a, you know, like a cool 70s font that you'd see on like a sitcom to something that's like very classy and refined on the other end. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it's kind of like, shoot, how do like we don't have a method to categorize these things yet. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's like that's the new frontier, which is super interesting and is allowing for ways to describe a typeface to just start blending from like one gradient to another of yeah sure this is your serif here's here's like like for example like you could do a variable font and let's say the client wants i want my font to be reminiscent of like 70s like pulp fiction or something Mm. like paperback pulp fiction so kind of has some idea of what that could be Maybe they don't like clear. Maybe they say they want like a serif and a sans serif, and that's like your ends of your variable font spectrum. We could all start imagining a skeleton for what this could look like of sans serif and serifs that had this older retro style skeleton. And maybe that's what you start going off of for the idea for the font. And then like you can change the font depending on how much serif or how much not serif you want. And all of a sudden, like this font, it, it like kind of just elevates above the boundaries of classic categories and all all of a sudden like there's a thousand ways to describe this typeface but you don't need to describe it using serif or sans serif you can start like creating the own vocabulary for that and that's like pretty exciting and i you know i think that's maybe part of what they're trying to get to eventually with cedars with i love typography I, i do think that that's on their mind and they're mm-hmm. kind of trying to tackle that piece by piece as fonts come into their catalog. But that too is new frontier and, you know, a new way of thinking about it like we were describing. And so I don't even know. I don't even know what's next. For sure. Like I think about the very early explore phases for some of the packaging work I do. Definitely not going to like name any names, but let's say like the strategy behind the new packaging design is that we want this food to like evoke happiness. And once you eat this food immediately, your, your world transformed a bit and you're like in the happy zone. Okay. The design director for a project like this is not going to say, oh, right. I want you guys choosing like titles that have sans serif in it. No, mm-hmm. there usually isn't parameters like this. It's like, okay, your font's describing happy. All right, let's put it in the mix, put it in the mood board. Let's see where this goes. It's just so interesting that 
so much design is not constrained to classic classifications we learn in design school. It's so much more about how your type is going to make someone feel. And let's start making tools that are reflecting that. You know what I mean? And bridging the yeah. gap between type designer and the whole rest of the world that are using and paying millions of dollars into this industry. That's a great, great point. Just like um, fascinating. All right. Before we go, I have one that just kind of popped into my brain that is off the cuff that we don't have a link for that I just want to see how you feel about which is I was talking I was talking the other day to you about how when I redesigned the league site it made sense in that moment to take away the spec images of here's the Mm -hmm. fonts in use so that we could kind of have space for the type tester and how take away the brochures you mean you did promise you were going to make fun of me of that in this in this episode yes the (laughs) the example brochures (laughs) And, and how I kind of regret that. Like, I, I wish that, like, it made sense. It was a fine decision, but I would like to find some way to bring that back. And that's basically because that in my life has proven to be the best way to pick fonts is by looking at inspiration. Mm-hmm. And that was a thing that I wanted to make. I don't, I mean, if anybody remembers back in like 2010, I was working on a project called Lettercase, which was supposed to be mm-hmm. font discovery by inspiration. And I just, I don't I like, I always thought that was like, it's hard to, it's hard to categorize and, and classify and search through stuff like that, especially images. But I always felt like that was the best way to find something. How do you feel about that? I don't know. I, I, I do get inspired by fonts in use all the time. That's why I'm on fontsinuse.com all the time. <laughs> it's helpful. It's almost more helpful to see a font in use in like a variety of ways though that's like my favorite type of inspiration is and that's more because of my type nerd side of things rather than looking for inspiration for a design project but I think that's like wow look at how everyone's like interpreted a different use for this typeface in different scenarios I think that's pretty exciting and I do love those uh, inspiration spec images we used to have but I also love that you can type what your text is going to communicate on our site today and that's almost so more helpful for people that are trying to figure out what font to use for their specific project. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I mean, this was supposed to be less about that specific instance of our site and more about, I don't know, I, even even with the different categorization systems that we've been touching on today and some of the mm-hmm. new ways that are interesting and really potentially groundbreaking of how to categorize fonts, I still often just find myself browsing in order to find what I want. I have like a couple parting thoughts about this idea. For example, sometimes if people don't see spec images of a typeface, they'll think of a whole new way to use it based off of some of its formal qualities. For example, I remember like we were talking to Trey Seals a while back. And if you know Trey, he is the founder of Vocal Type Co. All of his typefaces are designed based off of a forgotten history of a minority culture in some way, shape, or form. And so it all harkens back to culture that's certainly not in our classifications for typeface design, history, and discourse. But I think he talks about how he like loves seeing his typefaces reinterpreted in things that um, it is really unexpected because it actually doesn't have to do with history at all sometimes. And he said one of his typefaces was used for like a spaghetti restaurant branding. Mm. And 
it's so interesting that their way that that restaurant's probably describing that typeface to justify choosing it is completely different than some of the original intent. I think it's like important to acknowledge the original intent of a type design, but certainly there are a myriad of ways to go about repurposing it for something else as long as it's not clashing with the original intent. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's interesting. I think something that like really really also makes me think about ways to describe type. A few years ago, I went to a talk about the redesign of T Magazine, which is the New York Times style magazine. The complete redesign was happening right after Donald Trump got elected president. And so it was this idea that people that were reading editorial writing wanted the truth. It was a time where like fake news was starting to sprout and people were throwing around the term constantly. Media was getting like attacked left and right. And they're like, okay, we're totally rethinking what type we're using in this magazine. What speaks the truth? Times New Roman Times, classic Times speaks the truth. It's what people Mm. have known time and time again. It's what people can trust. And And it's what people can trust and what's been around. and, And they weren't trying to reinvent the wheel. It was like, Let's make our own variation on times, obviously, if that suits our magazine. But if you, if a client just says, I want my typeface to speak the truth, we all have ideas of what that could be in our mind, which I think is very interesting. Shoot. It's fun, right? It I is fun. I love talking about this it's stuff. It's very fun. Glad we got this into This was good. It. This was fun. This was, I, I like this uh, variation on our normal format. This is cool. New format. Woo! <laughs> this also is probably worth mentioning that we are secretly working on a workshop probably next year about picking and pairing fonts, which I think is going to be pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> In I'm honor of Curve coming back. <laughs> is What? Curve is coming back? I think Curve is coming back this month, dude. Oh my goodness. Get ready. I don't even, I don't even know how I feel about that. That's fair. We need a separate podcast for that. It's been a pleasure, as always. All right, everybody, stay awesome. Hopefully see you in the workshop tomorrow, and definitely see you here, same bat time, bat channel, next week. Doodly-doo. Doodly-doo.